Pastor Kevin um, just asked me to share some thoughts with you as we head into the, to a new year. Um, and it was just, it's, it's always a time to, to reflect and think back and, and look ahead as we go to new year. And so we're going to be looking at those verses that Pastor Kevin read from Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. And, and as we start there, I want you to start by thinking about a question. Think about where you were 10 years ago today. What were you doing? Where were you at? Um, and, you know, maybe it's tough for you to remember that. You know, as, as time goes on, especially as I get older, you know, all those different years start to run together. And you can't always remember where you were at an exact point in time. But I can remember very vividly uh, where I was 10 years ago um, on this Sunday. Because uh, 10 years ago, um, I was pastor in a small church uh, down in Portland, Oregon. I'd been the pastor there for about six years. And 10 years ago on this first Sunday uh, of the new year was the Sunday that we had to announce to our congregation that um, there was going to be a business meeting coming up in two weeks. Not like the annual celebration we get to have here of we're moving to a new facility and, and all those great things that are happening. But the business meeting that we had to announce that Sunday was that um, we are going to have to vote on closing our church. Um, and at the end of uh, January, uh, 10 years ago, we had to close the church that I was pastoring there. And for um, Malia and I, and for our family, that was, that was a tough time. You know, um, we didn't know what the future held after that. I mean, I remember on that Sunday when I stood up and had to make that announcement, we didn't know where we'd be living in a month. We didn't know where we'd be going. Um, there, was, there was so many things that, that were up in the air and that we were just really having to, to walk in and, and trust God for all those things. And the last 10 years since then have been a crazy ride in a lot of ways. As um, we've seen God provide, we've seen him lead. Um, you know, he's provided places for us to live, sometimes at virtually the last minute before, you know, we, we didn't know where we would be. Um, he's provided financially in, in, in so many different ways, you know, and he, he's led us in so many different ways. He led us, um, you know, just over eight years ago to, to Restoration Church, and we have been thrilled to, to, to be a part of the, this church over those years. Um, through our coming to this church, um, he ultimately um, led me to... Uh, to become an executive director at Love, Inc. I still remember the day I got a text from Kevin saying, hey, you know, there's a nonprofit in town, Love, Inc., that's looking for an executive director. And I had, this is part of my story when I talk about Love, Inc. every time and how I ended up there. That text that I got from Kevin, first time I'd ever heard of Love, Inc., I had no idea what it was, and I had to go online and Google it and, and read through the website and just realize what a perfect fit um, that was. And so God has led myself, our, our family in so many ways in those last 10 years. But this morning, I want you to think about where were you 10 years ago? How is your life different today than it was back then? Maybe you live in a different place. Maybe you have a different job. Um, you know, more importantly, though, think about how are you different? How has God changed you in the last 10 years? How has he used you to impact other people? How have you spent your life 
in these last 10 years? Have you invested it? Have you wasted it? Have you used it to help other people and to improve the lives of other people around you? Have you used it and invested it for the kingdom of God? Or have you wasted it? Have you let it slip through your fingers? There's a lot of things that can happen in 10 years and a lot of different things that we can do. And this morning, I want us to think about how we invest our lives and how we're going to do that in the coming, coming years. Um, and I'm going to start, this whole thing that I'm talking about this morning was really inspired by this. For those of you who don't know, this is a cassette tape, okay? Back in the days before the internet, before you could have a podcast and you could just send somebody a link on, on Facebook or in a text to share a sermon with them, you had to actually, they would play sermons on this thing called the radio that some of you may still use. And, and on the radio, if you wanted to copy something that you really liked on there, you would put this in a cassette tape recorder and you could press these buttons that were like play and record together at the same time and it would record the, whatever you wanted. And so like 30 years ago, my mom heard this sermon from a pastor by the name of Chuck Swindoll who he went on and he became the president of Dallas Theological Seminary. Um, he's had a, a huge radio ministry for a number of years. But she heard a sermon that Chuck Swindoll preached. And so she thought that it was so impactful that it, they would play it like twice a day. And so the second time she heard it, she recorded it. And while I was going to Bible college at, um, back then, Western Baptist College, that's what it used to be called, Cameron. Now it's Corbin. Um, but back then, she, she sent it to me while I was there. And, and that message that she recorded for me those 30 plus years ago is still impacting and changing my life today. And the, the one thing that I remember about that sermon, because I, I can't listen to it now because I don't think we have a cassette tape recorder in our house that I could play it on, but um, I still have the cassettes around though. Um, but the one thing I remember is a quote that he started and ended that message with. And, and this is the quote that, that Chuck Swindoll said to begin and end that message. He said, your life is like a coin. You can spend it any way you want, but you can only spend it once. How are you spending your life? And that's what I'd like us to think about this morning. How are you spending your life? What are we doing with the most precious commodity that we have, our life and our time? And, and the beginning of a new year seems to me like the perfect time for us to spend some time thinking about that and contemplating what we're going to do in 2022. And so that's the question I want you to think about today. How is God calling you to invest your life in 2022? And so the verses we're going to look at as we, as we contemplate that question this morning from Ephesians chapter 5, the verses Kevin um, read earlier, verses 15 and 16. And so let's start looking at verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. And it starts with that phrase, look carefully. Be very careful how you walk or be very careful how you live. And that's like the main statement in this passage as you look at the next um, five, six verses. They kind of detail what that looks like to be careful how you live, to, be, to look carefully at, at how you walk. 
everything that comes after that. And so I might encourage you, spend some time today maybe reading over from, from verse 15 down to verse 21, which is kind of the, 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 the whole entire text. But I don't have time to get into all that today, but contemplate those things at some point today and think about all the different ways that we can be careful. We're just gonna look at a couple of them uh, this morning as we do that. But the word carefully that Paul uses here, it carries the idea of something that's done accurately or precisely, something you give close attention to. So when Paul says to look carefully at how you walk, be careful how you live, he's saying that we are to live carefully, not as somebody who's unwise, but as somebody who's wise. We need to make the best use of the time we have. We need to pay close attention to what we're doing, pay close attention to how we are spending our time. About 30 years ago, I was living in Los Angeles. Um, after I graduated from Corbin, I went down to LA and I went to seminary at, at Talbot School of Theology. And while I was living there, I also worked at a small um, evangelical free church. And I worked with the youth group there with the, the junior high, junior high youth group. And we, we did all kinds of crazy things. I learned so much about ministry from the, the pastor that I worked with. Um, he just did so much to shape me. But one of the things I remember doing when we were there is I took this group of junior hires to a, a concert by a, a guy by the name of Randy Stonehill. And, and Randy Stonehill was, he was an, a great musician who he, the, the concert we went to, it was this gymnasium that was just full of, you know, all ages of people. And it was just Randy and his guitar standing down there. And he kept this audience just captivated for two, two and a half hours, just him and his guitar. And it, it was as much him and the, the songs that he would play as, as it was the, 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 the banter that he would have between his songs. I mean, he was almost, you know, part musician, part stand-up comic with some of the stories and things that he would say between music. But in, in the same way, there was that one phrase from that sermon by Chuck Swindoll that stuck with me and impacted me. There was one thing from that Randy Stonehill concert that I, re, that I will probably remember for the rest of my life as well. And it was just one side comment in the middle of a story that he was telling to connect a couple of songs that he was singing. But as he introducing one of his songs, Randy Stonehill said, so much of what we do in this life is disposable. Stop and think about that. So much of what we do in this life is disposable. And it, it reminded me, it's another reminder of the importance of spending the limited amount of time that we have investing our lives in things that are gonna last, investing our lives in things that have eternal value. That's what Paul's getting at when he says, be careful how you live. Invest your lives, don't be foolish, be wise and invest your lives in things that have eternal value. And for me, it's understanding I need to live every day as a citizen of heaven. I need to spend every day of my life seeking shalom and living that out, seeking the peace and the welfare and the wholeness of the community and the place where I live and the people that are around me. It's about investing my life in others and training and discipling and ministering to them. Those are the goals. Those are the ways I should be living my life and the things that I should be investing in. As Paul says in verse 16, making the best use of my time. But if I'm honest, I don't live every day um, like that. 
And, and in reality, you know, when Kevin asked me, do you, do you have a message that, that you could preach if you'd be interested in preaching this Sunday? This is the reason that this text and this message came to my mind because this is something that I need to hear this morning. And so I'm up here this morning talking more to myself than I'm talking to you so you guys can all just sit back and kind of listen in as I give myself the message that I need to hear because I need to be reminded of my call to invest my life in things that matter, in things that are gonna live on after I'm gone. Because if I'm honest, I spend way too much of my time wasting my time. And, and this right here is one of the big reasons. Whether it's playing a game on here, just scrolling through social media, this has become the biggest time waste in my life. And most of the time, it's simply because there's, you know, pain and difficulty, you know, hard conversations, difficult things to do that I probably just want to avoid. And it's easier for me to just get on my phone and waste time there and zone out and just, you know, scroll through those things than it is to do sometimes the difficult work of engaging in, in relationships and investing in, in other people. And it's easier to avoid than to reach out and, and, and interact and do those things. So getting back to what Paul says, how does Paul instruct us to live that we're, so that we're investing our lives in things that matter? He goes down to verse 17 and he expands on the idea that he gave us in verse 16. He says, verse 17, therefore do not be foolish but understand what the will of God is. And Paul's drawn a parallel for us between verses 15 and verse 17. In verse 15, he says, don't live as unwise, but as wise. In verse 17, he says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. And there's a parallel there. He, he, he's drawn a parallel between unwise living and being foolish. And another parallel between wise living and understanding what the will of God is. And it, it should go without saying, but not just understanding what the will of God is, but when we understand it, we need to then act on it and we need to do it. So how do we do that? That's what I want to spend the rest of this time talking about this morning. How do we then live that kind of life to know and understand what the will of God is on each and every day? When I was a youth pastor, that was one of the questions that I got most often is how do I know the will of God for my life? And for, for high schoolers, it's usually, you know, how do I know the will of God for my life and who I should date, where I should choose to go to school, what kind of career I need to pursue, those types of questions that, that high schoolers are, are generally uh, wrestling with. But we still wrestle with those even as adults today. How do I know what the will of God for my life is? So I'm just going to share real quick. These are just some of the basic principles I would share with high schoolers and I still remember today for myself when I'm trying to determine and understand what the will of God is. And the first thing I would say to a high schooler and I'd say to you is if you want to understand what the will of God is, first thing you do is you have to look at the revealed will of God. We have so much of the will of God that is revealed right here in the scriptures. So much that we need to do. And if you want to know and do the will of God for your life, this is where you have to start. You can't start asking, what's God's will for my life and whether I take this, 
this job or I, I move to this place or I do this or I do that. You can't start asking God to show you his will in those areas if you're ignoring what he's clearly revealed right here in his word. And there's so much that's there. I mean, the Bible clearly tells us God's will is things like don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't marry an unbeliever, remain sexually pure before marriage, don't lust, don't kill, don't gossip, go and make disciples, be part of a local church, build up our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to share our faith with others. You need to use your spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ. We should be spending time with God in prayer, spending time in God's word. We need to worship him. I mean, that's just, I'm just getting started. That's just the beginning of the revealed will of God. And we need to focus on doing those things and following and doing God's revealed will there because that is, those are the things that he has clearly called us to do. And if we start there, so much of these other questions that we have about what's God's will, I, I really believe they become a lot clearer and a lot easier for us to, 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 to know and what to do. But so what, what do we do with those other decisions? Because there are a lot of other decisions we have to make every day in life that are not necessarily covered specifically as you look at you know, what, what we have revealed in, in, in the word of God. So what do we do with those things, with, with choices that we have to make that are not clearly moral decisions that we don't have clear biblical um, guidelines on? A few basic principles that, that I would give you this morning to encourage us in that way. First one, ask yourself, does it violate some of the clear biblical principles that we have? Does this choice that I'm weighing violate anything that is part of the clearly revealed will of God? If it does, then you have a pretty clear answer because God's will is never for you to do anything that's gonna violate the clearly revealed will of God. If it doesn't violate any of those principles, spend time in prayer. Ask God for wisdom. The book of James tells us, if any of you lack wisdom, ask God and he will give it freely. Ask God for wisdom as you're trying to make those choices. Pray for that kind of guidance and talk to other believers that you trust. Hopefully you're maybe plugged into a life group when you're wrestling through a decision like that. I would hope that that life group would be a safe place that you could share that kind of a question and get positive input. Hopefully maybe you have other believers in your life that you, that you trust, that you look up to. Maybe folks that are discipling or mentoring you that you could go and you could talk through that question with and you could discuss that. But get wisdom and input from other believers. Ask them to be praying along with you and then trust God for his guidance to lead and, and, and guide and direct. And honestly, in some of those situations, I don't think it matters what choice you do. God will lead and guide. And if there's no clear biblical direction and we're wrestling over what's God's will, you know, I, God's will, I don't think is as neat and clean and direct all the time as sometimes we wish that it would be. Sometimes you just have to choose. And sometimes he's gonna use your desires and your feelings to guide you as you do that. So Paul says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And I really think what he's talking about there, understand that will of God is what's clearly revealed in God's word 
for us. So understand what the will of the Lord is. As, as we kind of draw this to a close, I want to share a couple stories with you. And in doing this, I'm going to be paraphrased. I'm going back to that sermon that I started out by talking about from Chuck Swindoll. And I'm going to paraphrase a little bit of what he said as he concluded that sermon. But he did it by sharing the story of, of two lives, lives of two people. The first, someone that I guarantee you've heard of. The second one for most of you is probably somebody that you have not. The first person is God. The second person I'm going to talk about is human. The first is Jesus of Nazareth. If you are looking for someone to follow, for someone's life to be an example, to hold up for you, to say, this is who I want to be like, I can recommend no one more highly to you than Jesus Christ. He alone is the one who came to give life and to give it more abundantly. 1 Timothy 2.5 tells us that there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus Christ. And without a doubt, he is the most significant one who has invested himself in me and changed my life, unlike anyone else. He is the one who died and who paid the penalty for my sin and has given his word to teach us and to guide us and to correct us and to train us. And it's because he's lived and died that now, and he now lives eternally, that I'm able to live daily with purpose and meaning and forgiveness and hope and peace. He is the one to follow and trust your life to. Because without him, all you have are human teachers and human mentors. But with him, you have the promise of eternal life and the forgiveness of your sins. The second one is just a dry goods salesman in the Midwest back in the middle of the 18th century who honestly has probably to some degree or another impacted your life today with whether you know it or not. His name is Edward Kimball. If you've never heard of Edward Kimball, Edward, Edward Kimball was, like I said, a dry goods salesman in the Midwest in the mid-1800s. And Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher. And as a Sunday school teacher, God put a burden on his heart to reach each and every kid in his Sunday school class for Jesus Christ. And so Edward Kimball would take time out of his day to go to where the students in his class were and to share the gospel with them. One day, Edward Kimball went to where one of his students worked, which was a shoe store in town. And when Edward Kimball went to the shoe store that day to visit him, he found the student working in the back um, stocking shelves at this shoe store. And Edward Kimball led that student to Christ. That student's name was Dwight L. Moody. Eventually, Dwight Moody left that shoe store and he became one of the greatest preachers and evangelists of all time. In fact, I know there's at least you know, two folks in this room who have attended a school that was founded by D.L. Moody, and that's had a huge impact on their lives. 
But his, his impact goes even beyond that. Moody became an international speaker and evangelist. And eventually his speaking took him to the British Isles. And while he was preaching in the British Isles, he preached in a little chapel that was pastored by a young man with the name of Frederick Brotherton Meyer. Sounds made up, but that was his real name. Frederick Brotherton Meyer. And in that sermon, Moody told the emotionally charged story about the Sunday school teacher who came to him in the back room and and, and led him to Christ. And that message changed Pastor Meyer's ministry. And it inspired him to become an evangelist, just like Moody. And over the years, Meyer eventually came to America. And while he was speaking here in America, in, in Northfield, Massachusetts, there was a young preacher who heard Meyer say, if you are not willing to give up everything for Christ, are you willing to be made willing? And that remark led J. Wilbur Chapman to respond to the call of God on his life. Chapman went on to be also become one of the most effective evangelists of his time. And there was a volunteer that worked as one, at part one of his crusades by the name of Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday worked and, and set up his crusades and he learned how to preach by watching Chapman in his ministry. And eventually Billy Sunday took over Chapman's um, evangelistic ministry and became one of the most dynamic evangelists of this century. And Billy Sunday's preaching brought thousands of people to Christ. Inspired by a 1924 Billy Sunday crusade in Charlotte, North Carolina, there was a group of dedicated Christians who came, who dedicated themselves to reaching their city for Christ. They eventually invited the evangelist Mordecai Ham to come and hold a series of evangelistic meetings in their town in 1932. Sitting in the back of the auditorium one day when Mordecai Ham was preaching was this lanky 16-year-old. As he sat in the crowd, he was spellbound by the message that this white-haired preacher gave. And each evening, the preacher seemed to be shouting and waving his finger at that young man who kept coming back and was sitting in the back row. Night after night, the team came, and finally he went forward to give his life to Christ. That teenager's name was Billy Graham. Billy Graham, in his lifetime, communicated the gospel to more people than anyone else in history up to the the point of his death. And it all can be traced back to a shoe salesman in the Midwest who took it upon himself, Edward Kimball, somebody most of us have probably never heard of. But he unleashed a chain of events that, that led to millions of people in the world hearing the gospel. You never know how, what you do, what small choices you make, the impact that God can use Those, those, those choices for and how they can impact things leading on into the future. As, as I was preparing this message, I, 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 it gives, gives me a moment to think back over my life and just all the different people that God has brought to my life at different points and at just little small things maybe that they've done that have had tremendous impact on me. 
you know, the two youth pastors that I had when I was in high school who both took the time and invested in me, uh, Bill Mullins and Scott Becker. And both of those folks and their investment in me led to me going to Western Baptist College, Corbin. And it was because I was at Corbin that there was a youth pastor from Yakima who came and brought a, a group of folks down to interview for internships. And Dave Tompkins was that guy. And he brought me here to Yakima for six months and had a huge impact on my life. And eventually it was because of that that, you know, Dave's wife um, brought Malia and I together and we ended up getting married. You know, while I was at Western, there was a professor who took some time and invested in me, Rich Rollins. And he spent a year of his time discipling me. And that ended up leading me down to, to California where I went to seminary. And while I was in seminary, Alan Hadidian was a, a pastor who I worked under while I was there who taught me so much about ministry. I mean, there have just been time, just people, time after time, story after story, just even texts like the one that Kevin sent me that have shaped and guided and directed my life. God uses all of those things. And so this morning, I want to leave you with this thought. How is God calling you to invest your life in 2022? The Bible tells us where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So invest your life this year, I challenge you. Invest it in things that are going to last. Store up your treasure in heaven, not here on earth. Don't lose hope because God can use you to impact others for him. He can use you, he can use the time that he has given you in the coming year to impact other people. And, and you may not even know how the things you do this year are going to impact people and the ripples that that could have and how God could use that on out into the future. But invest your life to be used by God. Maybe that means finding a spot to serve here at Restoration if you're not plugged into ministry here in one way or another. I know Pastor Jake or Pastor Kevin would be happy to, to talk to you about different ministry opportunities that we have here at Restoration or as we get ready to move to, to our new facility in the coming months and the, the other opportunities for ministry that that's gonna open up for us as a church and many, many more ways that so many of you and the gifts that you have that God can use those to build up the body of Christ here at Restoration. So think about that. Maybe that's how God wants you to invest your life. Maybe it's through serving at restoration. I'd be remiss if I didn't say, um, as part of my job as executive director at Love, Inc., maybe it's investing time serving at a local nonprofit like Love, Inc. And there are numerous ways that I know at Love, Inc. that you could plug in and, and serve and, and minister there. And I'd be happy um, to talk to you about those. But the point is, one way you invest your life is God has given you spiritual gifts. He has given you abilities. He's given you talent. And he's given you time. Take those things and invest them somewhere in this coming year. Find people to invest your life in. Find a mentor who can pour into your life. 
and invest in that relationship. Find people in your life that you can invest in and that you can disciple and you can teach them what you know. No matter where you're at in your walk with Christ, no matter how long or how short of time you've been a follower of Christ, you have something that you know about being a follower of Christ that you can pass on to someone else. That's part of that role of discipling and making disciples. Teach others what you know. Spend time investing in relationships, building up one another, rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep, weep, practicing the one another's in the New Testament. But this year, just I want to leave you with that challenge. How is God calling you to invest your life?